we'll be in First Kings again, and then I'll give you the directive. It's exactly where we left off from last week. We'll be in chapter 9. We're going to pick it up in verse 10 through 14. Could be a fast teaching today. Is that possible that God would do such a thing, make an adjustment in such short passages, and we could actually get out to eat luncheon time? Well, there are two songs that will conclude our service, so if you guys sing like you just did, it could be going on for a long time. But I do want to say that with regard to this, just before we conclude, or as we conclude this teaching, uh, Michelle's going to give us a report on CEF. Can you do that for us? This will give you time to be able to figure out how to compress it and share the uh, victory news, okay? Okay. But you'll have to be assertive, meaning you might just have to storm the stage that you promised me my time. Okay. So today's teaching is just after Solomon has been visited in a night dream by God. The first one was in chapter 3 of this area of scripture. This one we just left. It was for him the Lord saying quite clearly, you need to see things the way that I see things, Solomon. And the things that your father was able to see. You need to carry these things out. As you know, it is right before me to do. Because I've blessed you, and I want to continue to bless you, and to do so without there being the consequence of what happens when there's sin, Obey me. Do what you ought to do. You can go back and catch the title. It was much more complicated than that. But in essence, the revelation was there are things, Solomon, that you ought to continue on in and do to live in the integrity of the heart that your father had for me, to have a moral compass in which you're not confused about the decisions that you make. And so it was, I believe, both timely as it was for Solomon. What we do know, and this is important to address, is where is he right now in the ministry of being king? Well, he was king for 40 years, and we're probably at about the halfway mark for him and what we do know, what we've evaluated. Sometimes when we have a chronology in which we trace our beginnings and we anticipate our conclusions, it's actually inspiring to know, where am I now? This is where I began. This is where I've got to go. Where am I right now? And most of us that have ever run a long race, such as a marathon, realize how important that is to make for inspiration, that finish line, our goal, while we say to ourselves, look how far I've come. 
So 26.2 miles is the marathon. So right around, in my opinion, at mile 10, my body was dying. So you've heard the story, but nevertheless, my body was dying at 31 years of age. That's how old I was when I ran November 9th, 1988. I could feel it. Rigor mortis, that's the signs of death. It's when life is vanquished and the body says, I give up and I will not take you anywhere further than a hole in the ground. And I remember just saying, oh, Lord, help me. And it's interesting because I really wasn't following the Lord strongly at that time. But he knew precisely what predicament to put me in, in which that is what I would say. My other brothers were far past me at that time. And I knew in my heart I had to run my own race. But I knew that I wanted to finish it. And so at about the 10, 13 mile mark, I was able to say, this is where I am. Okay. This is how much farther I have to go. Okay. I'm not going to be suffering any less pain, but at least in knowing what I must suffer through, I can anticipate the next step, the next mile, the next water station the next perhaps thing that I have to peel off. Robert and I had bandaged our feet. We thought at the time, you know, we were working off of different theories, but if you put bandages here, if you did something there, you'd eliminate, you know, muscle fatigue. It didn't matter. I was ready to peel off anything. And so I pulled off the course really just long enough to tear ace bandages off my feet, arches, and so forth. I was doing anything to shed the weight that so easily ensnares us. And so everything that I knew wasn't at this point in time helping me came off. Cold November, I mean frigid in Washington, D.C. And so with that, trusting in whom I had not talked with in a long time, God, he was encouraging me on what to do, how to do it, to where eventually I got up to mile 16, and then 20. And at about the 25th mile, I knew that I had the proximity and the mental capacity to say, this was like one of my standard runs. In fact, the farthest that I'd ever run preparing for the marathon was about five miles. I think I did it twice. I was clearly one of those stupid guys that just entered something to be with others and the Lord says, I like your stupidity in this case. Not only will I train you, I'm going to break you. And just when you thought nothing more worse could happen, I'm going to send you up at 28,000 feet where I will scare you. And then I'm going to hear from your mouth, Lord, get me down and I will go back to church. That's my story. And so in 1988, actually, that's exactly what I did. Okay, Rich, you, you promised us we'd be out by time to get lunch. Your narrations are killing us. Well, it's okay. It sets up for what a man's disposition is in the revelation of his alliance with Solomon. He had the wrong perspective on whom he was serving 
the exchange of giftings from one to the other. And because of that, it would change literally, very likely the history of his nation, but also what was at this point in time applause and bravado for him loving Solomon's father, David, and becoming a great advocate for the work of God and the building of the temple. This is Hiram. He's a king. Okay, so let's figure out what this is. The title right now is simply to the last verse, and that would be, What kind of cities are these which you have given to me, my brother? That's verse 13. And he called them the land of Kabul, as they are to this day. And as the margin would read, it means... What good are you, or of no good, or good for nothing? Do any of these phrases like ping your ear? Let's just camp on that one. Good for nothing. Semicolon. Really? Exclamation mark. Or maybe it is, as of last week, the question mark. Good for nothing. Really? No, really. Where do you sit? If that phrase were mulled over in your mind and you had found yourself by the enemy's whisperings or the taunting of the people, good for nothing, is it with an exclamation mark, exclamatory? Is it with a period something that is just being declared and you don't know what to make of it? Is there something about that that you would question? It's really important. This man's a king. He's a lesser king. He's a friend of Solomon. But he's not necessarily voicing in this appreciation for what he's been given. We as a church can do the same thing. We can miss voicing appreciation for what God has offered us because of where we're at in our tenure. We forget where we're going. We say, well, this is what I've got. It seems to me there's not much more to get. And it seems it's just a hard life. Why not just forget? Hiram right now has been used magnificently as a supplier of the Lord. You are suppliers of the Lord and what he has given you to distribute. Quick illustration, it would only have meaning more so to me and to the recipient of it than perhaps to you. But last week I was very hoarse. This week somewhat hoarse, you heard the story. And so I heard coughing I had gotten a water for myself and distributed that fresh bottle of water to the one that I heard was coughing. Then as I sat down continuing to worship, the Lord said, hey, you spoke about some mints, some ginger mints. You have them. Distribute them. So to that person I went out, that's why you saw me exit. 
can't remember the time of the first exit. I think I was just trying to cut out from teaching. But the second time, it was purposeful to be able to get these mints and to turn those mints over to this person that was coughing. I would have done that for all of you. But in particular, it was the focus of the one whose needs seemingly were the greatest. There was a moment of both discretionary humility. Oh, I'm fine. Please, take. And then a second time in which it was just surrender. Thank you. In essence, there is going to be in this kind of a discretionary exchange, one for the other, but the one didn't get it and would probably live to regret it. And the Lord doesn't want you to be that man. Here we go, picking it up. Unless that clock is just not working, God has suspended time for this. It's only 11.35. Is that right? This is good. Now, it happened at the end of the 20 years so this is telling us kind of where he's at. He's in his 40s, very likely. When Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, one before the other, God's desire is that one comes before the other at 31, I put my house before God's house until he said, adjustment, adjustment, please. Put my house first, and I'll take care of your house later. That's been my odyssey. Hiram, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold as much as he desired, that King Solomon then gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. No small contribution to Solomon at all. And very often we can say, perhaps in pride, I've given God everything, the best that I have, and all that I possess. It's God's, always has been, always will be. It could be literal. It could be, and most likely is, figurative. What you say, what you believe you have given, which represents a treasury to you and how you say it. But what ends up being to God, absent of any value. For we can be kings of our lives. I know that for me, that was also one of my legacies. When a little booklet of the spiritual laws was given, there were two pages. There was what would be called a colorful Venn diagram that showed a stick throne and a cross on that throne and it had a sign, a letter, that indicated where a person such as me is at. Am I before the throne? 
And within that Venn-like diagram would be stars that were all put in order surrounding the throne. And the other page was the throne and the cross was in the distant and the stars were scattered and the M, me, was on the throne. I looked at both of those and believe it or not, but you should, I chose the one that had me on the throne because I knew in time I could look back on that other page and do quite well of having him be king over my life but like Hiram, I thought that I would do quite well with what I knew about God and with what my desire was to do for God, even as a teacher, one who did do very well at that. And that is, in essence, who I was. Whether you are able to apprehend that or not, or you've ever seen it, the little booklet was from Campus Crusade for Christ International. And it was a booklet that I believe was entitled The Five Spiritual Laws. You can look at it. It's a wonderful booklet. Though I did not know it at the time, seeing it, I would never be permitted to forget it. Because like Hiram, I had everything at my disposal that could have been impressive to anyone in the supply chain of my life. Now, I wasn't a millionaire. No teacher can ever proclaim that. In fact, our resources are actually spent back into the classroom. But what I am saying is that no matter where we are, vocationally or unemployed, it doesn't matter. We can all have a sense of believing that we're much more powerful than we are. And what we've done for God or what we intend eventually to do for God is sufficient enough. We got a pretty cool friendship with God. We're friends with God. I remember throughout even preceding the marathon when I would hear expressions of what people thought about God. Big guy in the sky. And I'm going, that doesn't sound right, that you would call him the big guy in the sky. JC, that doesn't sound right, that you would initialize him like that. See, the Lord was allowing me to hear a world system that thought it was pretty good, pretty cool to abbreviate the glory of God in letterings, salutations, things that actually were not necessarily to them offensive, but they didn't know God in the manner in which I did, and I remembered I was being challenged with how offensive that was. Yet I was, on the other end, not in pursuit of God any more than they would. The Lord was pricking my heart, challenging me in my lethargy, changing actually the course of my life through a series of adjustments that he would make in which there was no alternative but to say, I'm a broken man. I felt it in my body. I felt it and knew it in my mind. But when I came to terms with the breaking 
when all of a sudden my kingdom yielded to his kingship, things changed. One adjustment after the other, one footstep of faith in harmony with the things that I was learning. Some of you today are going to experience in a succession of events, adjustments just like I did in terms of what you think about God and what God would have you understand about Him. You're not doing anything wrong, so don't be afraid of that. Not essentially, at least not maliciously. You might have made some wrong decisions, but there's a difference between making a wrong decision and simply being decisively malicious and arrogant towards God. We all can make decisions that are errors, but by little increments, adjustments will be made. We don't have necessarily the history of what adjustment may have been made in Hiram, and so it may be that for the sake of a listening audience, we just understood what he missed because he didn't evaluate what was given to him by a king greater than him because he had the stuff that could say, I've added enough to your treasury. In honor of your father, I've done you good. And therefore, I can judge the things that you would give me because I have not done less. It's just that I value less what you chose to give me as opposed to the reality of what you can count in the trees and the gold, the things of men, rather than the hidden treasuries of God. Then Hiram went, oh, pardon me, let me come back to this. As much as he desired that King Solomon then gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. That's my stop point again. 20 cities in the land of Galilee, this is what you need to know. This is the very place that the ministry of God would take place. All of the miracles, the majority of them would be conducted in this zone. So take a visual, mental, imaginary peak at the Sea of Galilee and spread out from there 40 miles round or more. I'm saying with today's concept of where Upper and Lower Galilee is. But go beyond that, because this is the time of Solomon. We can go to the tip of the Mediterranean all the way down to the tip of, if you would, Egypt. And very likely, apart from where he had a political union with Pharaoh's government through his marriage to his daughter, a princess, he had it all. Galilee, this place that God would bring revelation of his son, Jesus Christ, who would move from his hometown of Nazareth, and that would be within this area of Upper Galilee, what we also would know where we visited the Golan Heights. This is where the spiritual legacy of God himself in the ministry of Jesus astounds us today in the gospel accounts. 
what 20 cities they were irrelevant to the land in which those 20 cities were. How could Hiram have known that what he was thumbing his nose at, basically disqualifying it, would be the extraordinary historical geopolitical legacy of the truth that we look at in God's word. How could he have known precisely? He couldn't have unless his connection with God was closer to Solomon via his connection with David. To be able to say to Solomon, your father I loved, your father was amazing. He taught me so much of the God you worship. How could he not be my God? How could he not govern over my soul as I saw him govern over your father's soul? How could he not? See, sometimes in worshiping God, we do things that are indeed expressive. They have value, but they don't have a soul depth to them. When things get difficult and times are not necessarily really clear, when proven and tested, you just don't have established faith to see you through the crises. And though we're not going to necessarily see that, what we are seeing is that even Hiram, who had this legacy of Solomon's father, David, was not able to, even though he is partnered with the greater king. What he saw Solomon do would be inarguably splendid. Nothing that he could do anything other than contribute towards, never have. See, he can contribute to it. He will never have what was given to Solomon. Was it jealousy? Doesn't say so, but sometimes people are jealous with what God gives another man. And that can be terrible what God gives to another family, whatever it may be. These are problems being quite human and yet very vulnerable to how big we think we are by how impressive others may find us. Hiram was an impressive man, but I would say that if I could talk to him, so Hiram, what do you think about that decision? Uh, what decision? Well, the one that the Bible says that you made, you were given these 20 cities, and it says in the areas of Galilee, and wonder what you thought about thinking less of them than the best of them. What kind of cities are these? Good for nothing. Good Lord, good for nothing. Have you ever had a good for nothing attitude about something, someone, even yourself? And God would say, you don't understand. I actually have chosen to do miracles in the place that a king who served me very well, faithfully, got it all wrong about me. The miracles that I did, even in those cities that I performed them, that were not believed in, will be indicted, but I did them there. And precisely, what is it that God will do 
in that place that you would say is my home. And where is your home? Because when I was telling you about the Venn diagram from the Campus Crusade for Christ, you know, little pamphlet, the home is the heart. Where in your heart would you say, good for nothing? I believe in a good God, but oh my Lord, good for nothing. I believe in the people of God, but oh my Lord, good for nothing. The land was there, 20 cities. Every one of them, what we would be able to say at the beginning of even a greater work, if Hiram had only known that that would be the place in which God himself, whom Solomon is allowed to picture in the best of his examples, would walk itinerantly, sleeping on the ground that they could have walked on then, on the waters himself within a boat, in that boat, projecting teachings from a smaller boat to a sea that had multitudes of people listening in on, people being healed from disease, affliction, demonic possession. If Hiram had known the riches of actually spiritual inheritance that Solomon was giving to him, I wonder if I would find him blushing today with what he could not have known. It's not that he couldn't have said, Solomon, you are a wise man, wiser than me. And though I don't know what this means fully, thank you, thank you, thank you. Do you have any advice, Solomon? Since you are the wisest man on earth, since the Lord God himself visited you, I sense he did. Your eyes have a look as if you just had a visitation from God. Is there anything that you would recommend that I do in the authority that I have with the time that remains? What would you say in your gift to me that I ought to do with what I possess? What if that was the dialogue? You know what? he would have come to a far different conclusion because Solomon could have unlocked any of the mysteries that were necessary to bring revelation of God into a person's life. From Solomon's perspective, he gave him the choicest of land. The only thing that he hadn't given to him was Jerusalem, but Jerusalem would have been the chief architectural city of God. And so this would have been a peripheral that to what God was going to do by bringing himself to earth would stand. When we think of Jerusalem in Jesus' time, he made visitation to there, but he made impact in the surrounding areas of Galilee, upper northern. That's where his name was made famous. Miracles that would be undeniable. They had to come from Jerusalem to tag him he never had to go there to talk to them. He would go there to teach, to worship. Obviously, he would have compassion on people en route. But Galilee was his deal. And Hiram had been given a bequeathment. And what he says is, no good. 
good for nothing. If you feel that way about your life today, you need to understand God doesn't feel that way about you. Probably it's important to say that as significant as Galilee is, your life even more so, for you represent a legacy. I will have effect and effect in people's lives. I know that. Generationally, I know that. Met up with one of my pastor friends who I taught actually as a sixth grader at the school that the Lord began to train me in the abuse <laughs> of what it's like to follow God. For nine months, I counted them off. I had one student, maybe among two or three, that loved me. He was one of them. I believe that he is now 43 and pastoring the church that I started in Rug River. His name's Josh. Gone through some interesting times in perhaps following after a teacher and his father preceding him as the pastor of that church. And we got to pray together. Interesting times. But his times are rich because he never despised what God had given to him. What God has given to you is a treasury, both in the giftings of the Holy Spirit. If you love the Lord, you've been gifted, you've been endowed. Don't despise it. Don't say good for nothing. Do good with God. For God desires to express himself in goodness through you. It takes a decision. If not, it will take a situation. It will take a moment in which your adjustment required you to go deeper in a situation that will have profoundly been inarguable. This is of God. He wants to talk to me. I need to talk to him. In 2 Corinthians... This is what it says about what Hiram probably should have known. It's a, liberal, it's a little liberty that I'm taking. But Solomon didn't try to cheapskate him. Solomon was blessing him. If he'd only known, if he'd only grabbed onto it, if he only had not insulted the king, how many have lived insulting the king, despising what he has given to us, finding other things seemingly of greater value. But we, chapter 4, 2 Corinthians, have this treasure in earthen vessels that's speaking of our humanity, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Hiram, it's not you. It's the excellence of God. It's the greater king who has given you this. You've got a lot, but it doesn't measure up to the excellency of that king whom you have served in honor of the king who first touched your life. What are you doing with your spirituality? Are you content simply being in the supply chain but not truly having your life effectual for the expression of God. 
It moves on to this, verse 16. Therefore, and the reason that I'm making this jump is so that you see the connection of the treasury that you've been given, the 20 cities that God has endowed you with, the means by which he says, don't disregard this. Don't insult me by what you think about it. Have a future belief in what it is it is for. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Some of us, as we're getting older, we feel it. And we're kind of going, oh man, I wish I wasn't here. I don't like it. It's just, it's okay. Here's what it says. The inward man is being renewed day by day. That's our focus. I can't despise what it is I feel when God is saying, have a perspective on the renewal project inside. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Hiram, you are supplying, you are doing so with respect, but there's a deeper accounting that's different than your assessment of your earthly inheritances. He was assessing his earthly inheritance from Solomon, not realizing that the real estate was treasure. Treasure. Well, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Hiram, you're looking at the things seen, and that isn't the way it works. You should have trusted the resources of your spiritual life, even though not in maturity of what you knew from David's heart and what you knew Solomon was willing to do. He could have outfunded you, outpaid you. He could have thrown bigger barbecues than you. You have nothing in comparison except a title. What do you want to do with it, Hiram? And so when the exchange of the gift came in which he thought his gold and lumber would add up, he discounted the fact that he had inherited the upper and lower regions of Galilee in some capacity with 20 cities. And he said, oh my word. Good for nothing. So God would say today in adjusting you, like he did with my eyes, I can see clearly now. Change your mind so that the heart can have a proper place for the work of the Holy Spirit. Quit looking at the temporal, look at the eternal, accept where you're at, but believe you're not being punished by God. What is happening in your life? God's making you a producer. The only way you can adequately be in a supply chain is by being a producer. He produces within you the gifts that come literally from the treasury storehouse that his spirit, both in residency and expression, govern. And it's important to understand he's not through with you. Do not despise the things that to you are little, the things that God has been blessing you with and you make comparisons 
because of what you see when you haven't even had an adjustment yet. Wait for the adjustment. You guys look so good to me. Before you were as trees, hazy, and now it's like I can see crystal clear. Now on the other hand, if your vision has been better than what mine has been, then I apologize for every stain you've seen on my shirt. Thank you for your kindness in not revealing that. I will also tell you I have a tear under one of my sleeves. You'll see it. You probably always have. I have no reason to shy away from that. Wish I were better dressed. But you know what? That's temporal. I'm robed in his righteousness as you are too. And so let's not say to God, good for nothing. Let's say you are a good God and I have been equipped for something very special. So I'm going to get at it or I'm going to stay persistent in its pursuit and I will not let from my mouth anything derogatory be spoken, both in what you have given, what you shall give, and to the people of God who are part of both supply and encouragement. I will not say anything contrary to God.